0: Hey, welcome to the show. Stay right there because we got a great interview with guitarist Joel Hoekstra coming right up. Uh, but, real quick, if you can, make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen or watch. And if you're on YouTube, please give the video a thumbs up. And if you're on Spotify or other audio podcasts, please give the show a rating or review. It would help us out tremendously. Uh, we don't have any major corporations backing us up here, it's mostly just me. So, uh, now back to today's guest. Guitarist Joel Hokstra, this is his second time being on the show. So if you haven't listened to our first episode, make sure to check that out. And today we're gonna to talk about his new project, Iconic, with Michael Sweet from Striper. Plus we're gonna talk white snake, success, sports, and a lot more. So stick around. hard to get people to listen to podcasts
1: um yeah i mean there's a lot of them nowadays too right i yeah. mean it was like during covid all the yeah all the people that were even you know like well known started their own right because they're like oh i got nothing else to do let me start a podcast
0: yeah so then i'm going up against like the john krasinski's from the office and like you know the, the these like a-list yeah, totally. celebrities are like yeah i'll just start a podcast like conan o'brien and stuff like Oh, great! That's fair. That's a fair playing field. So, but it must be the same with yeah, music, right. right? I mean, it's so competitive, trying to get people to listen to music.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess so. It seems to, you know, be a little easier to get people to um, check out the videos these days, though, for whatever reason. I think people are more acclimated during COVID, certainly. You know, that like couple of years where everybody was like in front of their screens. It was easier to get people to press click on a video than it. A-
0: Oh, so the videos like YouTube video, does that do better than like the streaming, the Spotify's and things?
1: I think I feel like the videos that came out over the last couple of years all seem to be at least on my end. I don't know. You know, they seem to get more views than stuff that was released, you know, five six years ago or whatever.
0: What's more lucrative for you or does that even matter? Like, do you get more? Income oh from the God. YouTube or the or the Spotify? <laughs> Neither.
1: Uh, dude, there's not a magnifying glass powerful enough to uh, calculate anything that would matter with any of that. Yeah, I mean it's like really? Yeah, I mean it's that. I mean YouTube essentially is a streaming service too, just like Spotify mm-hmm. or whatever. So people have usually in the public right now are kind of clued into the fact that Spotify hardly pays artists anything, and so you know, YouTube's in the same boat.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cause Spotify for podcasters. Like we don't, I don't get anything from the audio, but I do get something now from YouTube. Once you hit a thousand subscribers, you can get paid per down. It's not a lot, but it's something. And so it's like a start at least.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, yeah, it, it's just the amount that you get. I think with, from all these streaming services for, you know, if people listen to your song on YouTube or something, it's, it's really, really tiny.
0: So it's better. Obviously, it's better if you can sell a physical. You have physical copies of this CD, the the uh, new iconic one.
1: I, I actually don't yet. Um, I hopefully the label's going to send me some. I forget what was in my deal.
0: <laughs> but they are going to make it, right?
1: Okay. Oh yeah, there's yeah. definitely physical product available. Yeah, they made vinyl? the CDs.
0: Vinyl is a big there. one too. It seems like that's like
1: yeah, they made they made vinyl, so you can go to the frontier site for that if you're. Um, um, but, yeah, I actually do not in my own home yet have a physical like somebody somebody asked me for a copy of this the other day, I was like, "I don't have one, man <laughs> like, I and uh, or I you know what was even funnier is I just strictly because now this isn't. A, Uh, on anything with the label i've just been so unorganized i actually don't even have a proper digital copy of the mixes downloaded yet i i listened to them off a site for a while where they had them i was like you know was giving my thoughts on the mixes and all that stuff but i forgot to click download and never download it and so now that page is gone and i was i went to go listen the other night and i'm like oh I, i can't listen to it it's gone
0: Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, when so this comes out on June seventeenth, because I don't even think I could listen. I didn't get an advanced copy. I've only heard the single, Nowhere to Run, which is an awesome single. It's a great riff.
1: Oh, thanks, dude. Yeah, I'm at the, I'm at the point with you, you now. i to wait. I I think I gotta wait till the album's available to be able to hear it. <laughs> um uh yeah, I mean, you know, it's It came together, obviously, it's something that Frontiers uh, got together. They wanted to have a group of classic rock musicians around Nathan James, who's, you know, a great young singer, kind of up and coming, you know, with his band Inglorious. And um, I think Michael Sweet and I came to to mind as guitarists because we talked forever about doing a project together. Michael and I were like, it's gonna happen this year and it just kind of kind of like you know uh took a while but uh anyway they they thought of us and so that was sort of the beginning of things right there It was Nathan Michael and myself and then they said and we'll go find a drummer and a bass player and I kind of thought okay well, have fun with that you know the label and I just figured it'd be a couple people I didn't know and then lo and behold it was Tommy Aldridge my bandmate uh from Whitesnake and and um Marco Mendoza who Played in Weissing in the past as well, so both of whom are friends of mine, and and they really like playing together. Tommy and Marco have always uh, enjoyed uh, you know hanging out and, and playing together, so they work well as a rhythm section. So it's kind of kind of interesting because as much as this is like a new project or a new band, whatever we're going to call it, it kind of feels like you know I had already. Worked with Nathan like in TSO and co-writing with him. I'd co-written with Michael. Obviously, been in a band now with Tommy for eight years and Marco. I've known. I've co-written with Alessandro uh, Del Vecchio, the the co-producer. So it's like I knew everybody involved. It was like we got together for the video photo shoot, and it wasn't like meeting anybody. It was kind of like hanging out with friends that I already knew.
0: Okay, so then yeah. how did you write? Did you write together, or did everyone kind of bring their own stuff, or?
1: Yeah, that was something like out of the gate. I was like, well, let's try and, you know, let's try and get everyone involved. Like, so it's not just like, you know, one person saying, well, here's how the songs are going to go. And I was like, well, it should be collaborative. We've got a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Um, so the way we ended up breaking it down was that I I wrote the guitar riffs, basically. Um, but Michael wanted to do it uh, with me the way he did it with George Lynch, where George would send him, like, riffs at a certain tempo that maybe he had in mind what section it would be, but it wasn't in song form yet. Hmm. And then Michael took my riffs and then put them in song form, and if the, it needed an extra riff here or there, or it needed, like, you know, less of something there, He it was basically like... You know, putting putting it together in Pro Tools in song form, my riffs, and um, and like I said, he did add some of his own, and then from there that went on to Alessandro and Nathan, and they wrote the lyrics and vocal melodies. So it was it was collaborative in the end. I mean, everybody got like a hand in it. Um, it was it's cool for me that at least like my guitar riffs are on it, and. Um, you know, every every band or project has its own level of involvement that you can go with. You know, obviously, my Joel Hoekstra's Thirteen thing, I'm like, you know, the the, the dictator man. You know, I'm like yeah. writing the lyrics and the vocal melodies right. and all the music and everything. And um, this, so, obviously, something like this, you've got to be willing to go. Like, all right, let's try it and see how it comes out. You know, you've got to be willing to. Um, give up the reins on on some of it, so I, I think it's cool. I got to do the guitar riffs, and that way it still sounds like I have my personality in there and my influences in there. Um, and so there you go. That's all hmm. right. That was like the longest answer ever. Sorry, oh, I
0: love it. It's great. It's good stuff. Oh so yeah, because I didn't realize Frontier put this together. I thought it was like you guys. Hey, let's start. It. So Frontier basically like constructed this band. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, Frontier's really. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that really the, the, it started out almost as like a, you know, the, Hey, this is like a Nathan James project. Yeah. Okay, cool. i you know, like I said, Nathan had asked me to co-write with him on a couple of the Inglorious albums. So I think like mm. three, three co-writes of mine have been on their albums. And so, you know, I, we always got along great. I, I saw him at TSO rehearsals for a couple of years, um, when he was doing the West band and, um, So, you know, it sounded great. And Michael has been a longtime friend. I mean, you know, and really one of the hardest working, nicest guys in in the business. So um, that sounded like a lot of fun to me. And then suddenly it was like, wow, this... Took like a weird turn when we got Tommy and Marco. Now it sounds very White Snake all of a sudden, you know. But you know, I, I think there's some elements of, of that in there. But I think in general, it's more of just like an 80s throwback. You know, it's an 80s throwback presented in 2022 style.
0: Okay. Is that kind of what you is that? I mean, because you, you're trying to stand, you try to stand out from other musical acts, or are you just trying to do that 80s throwback style and just do it really well?
1: um well i think yeah i mean my uh, instructions as it were sounds sounds like very (laughs) yes sir you know but like michael and alessandro were they're the co-producers of the album right so they were looking to do something just like commercial melodic hard rock 80s style Okay. okay cool you know so when it comes to me like you when you're gonna sit down and write guitar riffs it's like well that's you know that's kind of like what i've been doing anyway so this shouldn't be too much of a stretch here
0: do you, uh, do you like that the most though or do you ever get bored and go i, I just want to do like a jazz fusion or something totally crazy
1: i mean i've i had my solo albums out years ago that were more along those lines and yeah Um, you know, I had the VHF project in recent years that was more like psychedelic instrumental rock and so I think as far as like you know, what a lot of people do in our scene, I definitely have, you know, stretched the boundaries. I mean if people Mm -hmm. listen to like the moon is falling from me, my my, one of my solo albums, they'd be like, Oh, really? This is like (laughs) you know, the same dude. So, um you never know. I mean, someday I may get into more like more artistic stuff. Um but it makes a lot of sense right now to release a lot of the hard rock stuff. while well, that's the scene I'm in.
0: Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm.
1: known for. That was the problem I had initially. That was the the need for the Joel Hoekstra's 13 albums because I mean I, I had these solo albums out there were like instrumental jazz fusion almost, you know, with undefined and the Moon is falling and I had an acoustic CD and so people were getting to know me in these bands that I was in. And like, and they'd go get my solo albums. They'd be like, um, okay. You got any rock solo albums? You know, right.
0: (laughs) That makes sense. It's
1: like, yeah, all right. I'll get cracking on that because I did want to do that. I mean, the, the Joel Hooks was 13 stuff. That's stuff that I always wanted to do. I was like, I definitely want to release some cool rock albums where I'm kind of the guy, you know, doing every writing everything. And
0: um, yeah, so. this song though. I mean, like I said, I've only heard one song off this project, but it's in that kind of vein of, like you said, the eighties throwback, like hard rocking, but with a modern twist. I don't think it sounds, I mean, it sounds sonically, especially really high tech.
1: Yeah, that's the thing is people say like, oh, it sounds really 80s. But then if you really A-beat it against 80s stuff, you could easily tell the difference. You know, if you said which one of these albums was made in 22 and Mm -hmm. and which one of those was made in 1986 or whatever. And you could go, oh, I can totally tell. Uh, Yeah. um, You know, it's there's always going to be elements of like. Um, the modern day in this stuff, but in general, I mean, if you're a fan of like the, the 80s hard rock, the melodic hard rock, it's, it should definitely be a record that you're going to like. I mean, there's a lot of talent on it. I think like Nathan's voice even is not like your stereotypical 80s singer. I don't think he really sounds like an 80s hairband singer. I mean, he's got like a, um, a warmer tone to his voice. Um, you know, he's more R&B based to a degree, hmm. like, you know, he can do blues riffing with his voice, which a lot of those guys were not, that was not in their wheelhouse, you know. Um, so I think he's got his own thing going on as far as like the sound of his voice and, and how he sings. I think he's got, um, he's got his own style, which is cool. Um it, I mean, it's a good album. I, I think it's a very consistent listen. Like when I was listening through the mixes, it would get to every song. i go, oh, I like this one. And then i get to the next one. Oh, I like this one. <laughs> uh, but there was never a song where I was like, oh, I don't want to listen to this one. Let me get past this one. Um, the songs that are different and that stand out are the ones where Michael swaps off lead vocals with Nathan. Hmm. Here there. So there's a couple of those. Um and not just singing the background vocals, but actually trading leads. And then uh, we do that on lead guitar on a couple of songs, too, kind of Iron Maiden style or whatever, you know. Where you nice. Pass it back and forth. And then there's lots of harmony solos, which we kind of figured right out of the gate. I mean, Michael's known for that in Striper. And right. um, yeah, I'm obviously in a couple bands that had – th- had a lot of that stuff, you know, white snake and, and was in night ranger. So, um, you know, I love all the harmony. I love all that stuff, man. Those like scorpions, harmony leads and stuff. I love that stuff.
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, So we did a lot of that on the, the album too.
0: Now, will you be doing live shows or touring with this band at all?
1: Um, so my statement is, is that I'm always willing to do whatever it takes to, um, to, promote these, you know, and get out there. So I'd definitely be willing to do live shows. Now, I must say that I have a year that's like complete insanity. I mean, we just wrapped up rehearsals here for Whitesnake um, and starting the Farewell Tour, We're mm-hmm. uh, doing, um, you know, Ireland and Scotland here coming up out of the gate and, and the UK and Europe. And um, there's a lot of dates that haven't been announced yet that are happening this year. And then I have TSO at the end of the year so I'm pretty much looking at a really full year and I think that this farewell tour will go into next year for us to be able to hit all the territories that that David wants to hit
0: yeah I was gonna say cuz last time I had John I was asking about the US tour and you're like well you would assume that we'd hit the US but I'm looking at the website and there's still no US uh, dates on that uh, website
1: well I mean good things come to those who wait (laughs) okay I hope. Uh, I've
0: never seen white snakes. So I'm like, I guess I got this has got to be it. It's now or never.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a you know, it's a really cool, uh, a great sound lineup in rehearsals. Um, everybody, you know, adding in um, Dino on second keyboards gives us another really strong um, backing vocalist, and he's an awesome keyboard player too. And and Tanya's a really great bass player. You know, she's got great pocket and, and great feel. Um, so the band is sounding really good, um, in rehearsals. And obviously Tommy Aldridge is always killing it back there and, and Reb is ripping it up, um, on the other side of the stage. So, you know, we got a, got a great lineup and looking forward to getting out there. And yeah, I think, you know, obviously we're not going to do a farewell tour without doing us days. Okay. Okay. Everybody can rest assured that they're, they're coming.
0: Yeah. So why is, <laughs> why is they retire? Why is white Snake retiring? Because, I, everyone I've I've heard I've never never seen White Snake, but everyone tells me David Coverdale still got the chops. He can still sing and scream. So what what's he going to do with retirement? Why is he? What's he going to do with his life now?
1: Uh oh oh I don't know. David'll find a way to stay busy and productive. He always does. Um, I, and I'm sure there'll still be a lot of dealings business wise with White Snake in terms of what he wants to do. I think he's just looking at like not wanting to. Go out and tour the world. I think he's getting to the age where he's mm. like that's a bit much for him. And yeah, so um, what about
0: a residency? A residency in Vegas or something like that? Then not have to tour.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, you'd have to ask David.
0: <laughs> okay, um, let's get him on like, the show.
1: <laughs> I, I, well, I've done him. I've done him with share, and and those are yeah. great. They're very easy. I mean, you do three shows a week and, and no travel. It's amazing when you're a touring musician and you go to do that and you're like, oh, you mean I could just hang out in this hotel room for the next month and like go downstairs and play a show three times a week? It's a, it's a pretty easy gig, you
0: know? Yeah, that's amazing. And it's like you can, you, there's more bang for your buck in Vegas. Well, it used to be cheap. Uh, I just was there this weekend and it was, seemed like it was really expensive. But sometimes I mean, you get better than like cheaper than like LA and in New York, I would think. Hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, uh, you know, I, I enjoy Vegas. I like it out there. Um, so I'm not in a situation where I can necessarily move there, but I like, yeah. it there, you know, it's cool. I like the, it's easy access to that airport. You can fly direct to most places out of there. No state income taxes.
0: Right, That's a good one.
1: <laughs> Boys so, and
0: girls. Yeah. So white snake iconic, Joel hooks was 13 TSO. Are you still doing shows with Brandon Gibbs?
1: Yeah, yeah, we, we went out and did a couple, um, well, three sh- a three-show run maybe a month or two ago. And I think we've got another two, three-show run coming up later this year on one of my breaks. And so, yeah, I try and keep that going too. Brandon's a great guy, and we have a lot of fun on those. And those are casual and give the fans an opportunity to say, hey, usually. Kind of a little, little bit of a smaller thing to come see us in a bar with 75 people as opposed to an arena or something with one of these other big acts or you know so yeah they're fun brandon's a great dude
0: what do you like playing better the, the smaller ones or the bigger ones that's probably like a you probably heard that question a million times but
1: yeah i mean uh, pr- realistically probably the bigger ones because i you get the opportunity to go do it but it is cool to go back and play smaller shows and have the opportunity to you know that that's where your diehard fans turn up right mm-hmm. so when you go to when I go to play with Brandon and I go to play for 50 people somewhere, that's the people that are there are like my biggest fans. right? Yeah. <laughs> They're not the ones that are like, all right, let's go see trans Siberian orchestra. Or let's go see Whitesnake. They're kind of like, Hey, let's go see Joel. He's going to be playing at this little bar, right. you know? So yeah, there's, there's something cool about that. And so that gives you an opportunity to be able to say, Hey, with everybody.
0: Yeah. Cause like as a, as a spectator or someone in the audience, it's so much cooler to be in the, unless it's better to be in a small club, unless you have like really good seats to the arena. Cause when you're in the back of the arena, it's like, oh man, this is tough. Like, I mean, you're watching the show on a jumbotron.
1: Yeah. There's, you know, the big shows though. It's like, yeah, gosh, it's hard to, it's, you know, you have to recognize the fact that most people don't get the opportunity to ever play those shows. So there's something special about appreciating the moment of going like, wow, you know, we just play for 10,000 people or whatever, you know, in an in arena. That's, you know, I, I really enjoy that. I mean,
0: that's amazing. amazing. No, that's super cool. It's, it's
1: an amazing thing to be able to do that in your life and just to be lucky enough to get to do that because there's so many people that dream about doing that someday. And so... There's, I think that that's, you can't just like blow that off.
0: No, no, absolutely. That's super cool. Like, do you think that there are people that resent you because of that though? Because of your success? Like, cause it it took a long time to get to that level. Like you didn't start out playing arenas. It took years and years of hard work. Uh, You know, I think, I don't,
1: I don't know that people necessarily, um, well, I don't know. That might be strong wording. (laughs) <laughs> there's uh, there's always some people that are like that, but I I like to think of myself as one of the guys that doesn't take it for granted, so I don't get much of the hate directed at me. I think there's a lot of people that do like take it for granted if they get that too easily and early in life. But it took me forever, you know, it took me forever, like to be able to do all that stuff of like busting my ass and working super hard every day on guitar and play, you know. I mean, I've been at this a long time, man. By the time things kind of worked out for me, I'd already had enough to, I'm like the Twisted Sister thing, right? You ever see their documentary where it's like, basically the whole documentary leads up to them getting signed.
0: Yeah, they're like a club (laughs) band for like 10 years or something, right? Yeah, I'm like that.
1: I'm like that as a guitarist, right? It's like, I have to like, you know, I have a whole story before people ever heard of me of like just working nonstop to try and get to where I got and so...
0: But isn't that most successful people at, I mean, not only in music, but really, like, I feel like in a lot of areas in life, but especially, I mean, unless you're like just this superstar singer or whatever, Robert Plant, I don't know how long Led Zeppelin took to break, but I mean, a lot of them, it does take a while to break into the business.
1: Yeah, I think there's always more work that goes into it than people see, you know, even those little, you know teeny stars and whatever you know they've been working at it. their parents usually are very like you know stage parents and have them working on you know entertaining and, and all that stuff when they're little kids and so there's always work that goes into it but that being said everybody does have their own story man you know it's mm-hmm. like there are definitely people that are like, I don't know. I just ended up like, you know, <laughs> in this band and made like $10 million. And, you know, I mean, it does it does happen easier for some than others, for sure.
0: How so, do you work through like when you because there's got to be times where I was talking to the, um, do you know Kiko Loero from Megadeth?
1: Yeah, dude's awesome.
0: Yeah, he's, he's really cool. But I was talking to him about um just working through the plateaus because i remember when i like a long time ago when i played guitar i just got to a plateau and i was like well i can't get any better and then i kind of just gave up and i because i realized like my guitar teacher he was like so freaking good but he said that you just got to work through those like he even he would hit those plateaus where he just felt like okay this is as good as it gets and then he would just keep working and then he would work through that do you feel like that's the same thing for you
1: um I mean, I I break it down more to, like, um, am I being productive every day? Hmm. So that's kind of the way my mind works with it. So I do play, like, a a boatload of guitar um, between whatever I need to work on musically, be it sessions or teaching or running sets to get ready for gigs and uh, work cutting albums. And so I just kind of, like, keep doing that stuff and then hope that, like, Hopefully, this is making me better. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's that's all you can do. And I, but I do think the more time you spend with things, just naturally, you get better at it, right? So, um, I try to avoid that. Like, all right, I'm going to make myself better, and I'm going to do that by you know sitting with a metronome and practicing. Um, I try to like have like real musical tasks, so I become a better musician Mm. too, not just like a better practicer. If that makes sense, yeah. And trust me, I'm not like, you know, I don't feel like I've arrived at all. I'd love to be much better um, at, you know, so many areas of my playing. You know, I mean, that's just I think once you get to a certain point, you realize like, you know, music is it's infinite as far as what you can get to and be able to play. So there is a ton I'd be able to like like to do better. Sometimes I can get myself bummed out, you know, if I think about that too much. I think I do better with the mindset I was talking about where I'm just like, all right, I have to do this today. I'm going to do this and do the best I can at it. And then that way I can usually wrap my head around that without going, you suck, man. You know, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, uh, getting myself. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It was probably more important initially, like when you were learning guitar and like before you had gotten Night Ranger and that kind of stuff to like, To keep going. Right. There's probably times where you're like, all right, this, maybe this is as good as it gets. I'm just playing in cover bands and maybe that's, that's my, my, my peak. And then, but you just, you kept going. Whereas a lot of people would just quit and get, you know, get a day job or something and, uh, you know, go back to school or you just said, I'm going to keep playing music.
1: Yeah, there was lots of family reunions where I was the loser of the family. Really? (laughs) Well, yeah, like I said, I mean, it took a long time for everything to kind of come around. So I think there was lots of family reunions where it was like – yeah, there's there's the long haired dude who's like, you know, a guitar teacher at a store and like, you know, why didn't he just go to college and get a degree and go do, you know, to get into business or whatever, you know. So, yeah, I mean, that's,
0: well, how like it must feel gratifying to go. Hey, guys, I'm in Night Ranger now. You ever heard of them? Like they had some hit songs and we're playing big, uh, you know, arenas and stuff like that's pretty cool.
1: Maybe initially, but like, it's not cool to go there in your mindset, you know, cause then it's like, you know, it's, it's unhealthy at the end of the right, day. Right, right, right. Yeah. You, you're doing
0: it more for yourself anyways. Right. It was always like, you're just trying to get better and get to that next level. It's right. not about for doing it for other people. You didn't, obviously you didn't care what they thought when they thought you were a loser. So.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. You just kind of keep doing it and just like, ah, oh, whatever, you know? So Yeah keep going, but it's definitely better to let go of all that stuff and not like, uh, nah, 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 I told you so kind of crap, you know?
0: (laughs) Right. No, but that's still, I mean, and also like you said, the gratitude, I think that's the biggest thing is just being grateful and continuing to be grateful and not expecting it.
1: I think that that's, you know, the one thing that hopefully keeps most of the, you know, negativity away is that I, you know, it took me so long of working hard that I, I, I tend to be one of the people that appreciates it the most, that I get the chance to do all this. So, you know, I think that, that it goes a long way. And then, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, one of the basic, I this is like my cheap ass attempted philosophy here, but it seems like a certainty that what you put out, you get back, right? So the mm-hmm. more you kind of put out when you're in that position to feel grateful for that, people tend to give me a lot of positivity back too, you know? So, I mean, you know, I am not saying I bat a thousand. I definitely don't. Nobody does, you know. Like, I mean, there's always times where you're like, I could have done better there. Um, but you know, it's like I said, it, for me, it's to keep myself somewhat sane in this whole crazy process. You just kind of break it down to every day, mm-hmm. All right? I'm going to do this today. I'm do the best I can with it, um, and there you go.
0: That's no, that's yeah. awesome.
1: Re- repeat, rinse. What are they? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, rinse, repeat. But
0: well, part yeah. of your routine, um, I heard you say that you don't really listen to music much anymore. Do you, or are you just listening to your own stuff to kind of like you know figure out how to do it better? But you're not listening to like other bands or like newer bands, or not a
1: not a lot. No, I mean I'm pretty terrible with that. I have uh, usually a pretty long list of things I need to get to. You know, I just did a session yesterday here in in LA I'm teaching every night. Um, and that's in addition to re- rehearsals, you know, mm-hmm. so i mean rehearsal white sake, do interviews for iconic to teach, so you know, I get to the end of the day. It's like, all right, I had seven hours of rehearsals, three hours of lessons, and talked about music. So let's watch a movie. You know, that's that to me. That's more enjoyable than like, hey, let me go listen to this new band and see what they're all about. I'm pretty much that's just the way. Like every day seems to be for me. Kind of, I get to. But the is end there? Of
0: yeah, but there's got to be some time where, like, if you're at the gym or something, where you 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 can't you have to listen to music. You can't watch a movie maybe, or they're, like if you're driving or something, I just don't
1: listen to anything. I just oh. have total, total silence. Yeah. If I'm in a car, <laughs> I don't listen to anything. And if I'm at the gym, really? yeah, I mean, unless they have it on, I don't listen to anything.
0: Huh? That, yeah, cause <laughs> I always bring my headphones. So I'm like, Oh, they usually they play crappy music. So I want to listen to something good. That's interesting.
1: I listen to the crappy music. they have. The
0: <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Well, I we've already covered most of your origin story in the last episode, but I did hear some things that I didn't know about you that uh, were really like three concerts that you saw that I am so jealous of. You saw Iron Maiden with Quiet Riot opening, the Scorpions with Bon Jovi opening and Dio with Twisted Sister opening. Yeah. Yeah, those are three amazing. Are those like the three best concerts you've ever been to?
1: um they might be the most magical because those are the first three i went to really those those, those were the first three concerts that i went to when i was a kid right there sort of in order so um yeah those probably hold the most magic in my mind in terms of you know how cool they were and so yeah i mean that's a neat feeling nowadays to get to eventually know most of those people like you know that's sort of the story of the last 15 years of my life basically is you know going through the process of getting to work with and know all the people that were my musical heroes growing up um but they were all very young, too. So I don't want to make them all sound like they're a million years old. I mean, most of these people, it's like, you know, when I'm working with Michael Sweet and I talk to him, like, dude, I came to see you in Striper when I was like a freshman in high school. You know, I remember like I was like 14 or whatever. And, you know. It's, but he was just a kid, you know, I mean, he was probably only 20 or 21 mm. or something when he was playing that show. It's amazing. those it they were so young, those bands that were getting yeah. those back then.
0: Yeah. Like Skid Row, I think Sebastian Bach was like 19 when they had their first album. They were just kids,
1: you know, mm. it's amazing. So, but, uh, you know, really great for their age. It's amazing what, you know, playing live a lot will do when you're <laughs> young. People like kids don't have the opportunity to do that these days.
0: No, I know. Well, it's hard for, I would think it'd be the hardest for singers in these bands that like with Bon Jovi, I don't, did you see the new, you must've seen the news story about that, about, Oh, Bon Jovi had a bad show and he should retire and he should hang it up. Cause he was, his voice cracked a little bit, I think during one of the songs. And like, what are your thoughts on that? Cause it sounds like David Coverdale doesn't have a lot of that issue.
1: Um, uh, I mean I I you know I didn't really check I don't know the clip um I can't really comment on it but right. you know I mean I people can't expect older singers to sound like they're 20 I mean that's just uh, that seems to be common sense right there so I'm sure everybody's doing what they can to give the fans the very best possible show they can and you know there's there's nobody that's up on stage going like well, screw them. We don't care. Whatever you know, the show. It's everybody's wanting to play the very best show uh-huh. they can. So I mean, if, if it's I suppose if fans don't like the way a certain band sounds, they can always not go. That sounds
0: right. Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: that sounds cold-hearted, but I, I don't mean it to come <laughs> off that way. But uh, you yeah, know, but that's
0: I mean that's what Eddie Trunk always talks about. That too, like with Kiss, he'd say like I don't think they should be touring with unless it's the original members. But he's like, but fans vote for it with their wallets. Like, so if people are going and it's making money, why wouldn't they do it?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I can't, you know, these bands are around for, they've been around for a very, very long time. Like when, when... (laughs) when people start commenting on the fact that a band has had lots of lineup changes and you go, that band has been around for 50 years. It's like, you know, crazy. I think you probably should expect some lineup changes over the course of that time, you know? Um, so people don't always think that through. And I think in, you know, they just picture it being the people forever that they saw on an, on an album cover or whatever. And they want it to be that forever. And, the reality is, you know, those, those people themselves probably wish they were that age and looked like that and felt like that. And it probably stayed like that forever, but that's just not the reality. Right. I mean, right. So.
0: And sometimes it's, it's better when they do have some lineup changes, you know, they can get a younger guy that, that can play better. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's up to each individual listener and fan to figure out if they like or don't like, and,
0: there's yeah. certain, obviously there's certain musicians that are like part of the sound where you're like, okay, that's not, it's not going to sound like the band. If, if it's not the original singer or, or original guitar player, or sometimes even the bass player or drummer can be a huge, I can't imagine like Red Hot Chili Peppers without flea. That would be weird without, you know? Yeah. You
1: yeah, I know. I mean, I totally get it, man. I mean, I'm a fan too of, of bands when I was younger and, um, you know, like, um, a great example would be Queensryche, where I grew up really loving all of those guys. And they're like, what a band, you know. Like, everybody's got their style and they fit so well together and great writing and great albums. And But, you know, uh, Todd Latory's is a friend of mine and, and he crushes the shit out of it, man, when he sings live. And I'm oh, like, I well, I mean, you know, I, am I supposed to not enjoy this show right now? Because this sounds pretty awesome. Does and, it sound
0: like Jeff Tate or does it sound... Different though,
1: uh, I'd say like a a hybrid, you know, like, like, covers Tate great, but I think he's got his own thing too. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, that's just an example of like, okay, you know, obviously, I was a huge Jeff Tate fan growing up, so there's always that part of me, you know, but at the same time, like, Todd's awesome, man, you know, so like, wow, what am I supposed to do? I don't know,
0: yeah. Well, you said Todd's (laughs) a friend of yours. Have you ever met Jeff?
1: Yeah, I have. And we we talked on the phone a couple times, texted, and he's great. I mean, Jeff's a super nice guy too, man, you know, at least in my experience. So, um, you know, when things go wrong with these bands, it's like I, you know, I'm not going to be the one to like pick sides and choose sides and all this stuff and be like, you know, I like to give everybody the benefit of the doubt in this business until they've necessarily directly done me wrong or anything, hmm. and very few people have. I mean, I just don't feel like, you know, in general, those are just band dynamics of people being together for like years and years and years. I think, right?
0: So wait, who did do, who did you wrong? Or you don't have to say their oh, name. Come on, it's you're gonna story? go
1: there. You're gonna. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm not gonna give you that list. Well, you don't man. have
0: to give me the name, but can you give me a story? Like what happened?
1: No, no, man, I'm not Nothing? gonna. No, I don't. I've heard so
0: pay. many stories like promoters. A lot of times, will like they don't pay the band. That's crazy to me. I don't know how that's even legal.
1: Yeah, I've been I've been a part of having done that, but usually I'm not like the direct business. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know what I'm looking for. I'm not the manager right, or the, no. the booking agent or whatever. Yeah. But I've definitely that 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 happened a couple times over my time in Night Ranger. I know where they had a couple promoters flaked and. Etc. Etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> So
0: it seems like it may be more smaller bands, like in clubs and bars and the, and the bar just says like, Oh, we're not paying you whatever, for whatever reason. And it's just like, then what do you do? Like, it's just crazy. I guess you call the cops or something. It's a straight, I mean, it's gotta be a weird limbo.
1: Yeah. Thankfully, luckily one of the things about being able to do, uh, what I do, just being a part of a band, is not have to deal with that stuff.
0: Directly. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, you have someone else dealing with our parts, yeah. and
1: everybody that's handling the business end of things can figure that out.
0: That's so, awesome.
1: But yeah. I try not to sweat too much about, you know, like one little tiny sum of money here or there. You know, it's like you got—you always got to see the bigger picture, and you know, not get too wrapped up in that.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's a good uh, outtake or uh, outlook to have, for sure. Well, and you did the um, – are you still doing the rock and roll fantasy camps?
1: So I did a couple of those earlier this year. and yeah. I've done a couple in past years. So I don't think that it lines up the rest of the year just because okay. I'm not on tour. But it's something I enjoy being a part of. It's um, it, You just kind of help – what they assign you when you're a counselor, they assign you a band, and your job is to kind of get them ready to play. And depending on their need, if they need a guitar player, you play with them or you don't play with them, hmm. kind of thing. Um, and But your job is to kind of get them ready to be able to perform with the headliners that come in, or even one of the performances is usually on their own. So, um, you know, if you don't mind teaching, which I don't, I do it right. anyway, Um, Then it's a good gig because I hang with the other counselors for a week or for four days and hang with the headliners each for like a day or two. And, um, you know, it's a great opportunity to just kind of stay out there a bit and and play music without it being like I'm off on tour with this band, etc. So, um, yeah, it's cool. I have a good time at those.
0: Yeah, that was cool. Like I saw like you were hanging out with a Soundgarden guy, Kim. And Alison Chains, yeah. Jerry Cantrell, and uh, Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction. I was like, damn, this looks like a fun rock and roll fantasy camp. Like, I want to go see the concert.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. You know, you by the end of the week, you're like, okay, so, you know, Kim and I had never met. and they, But they asked me to moderate, like, the Q&A and actually kind of interview them at the beginning. And, and so it was kind of neat. You know, by the end of that, I felt like, wow, i, I feel like i know him and he came later in the night he came up to me and complimented he said man you asked the best questions and you know you've had the best commentary all day and was just very complimentary and nice and somebody i never even met and i thought wow that was that's cool you know that that came about and getting to see uh jerry cantrell i'd only met jerry one time very briefly so getting to meet him again is always nice and you know be seen and remind people you're out there and alive and um and then Steven, I, you know, we had been at some mutual events, but I was always kind of like, all right, I don't know him. I just I don't want to go, uh, you know, be like, you know, guy in Jane's addiction, go up and like, hey, man, get in his face. You know, great to meet you. And, you know, so uh, this was really the first time where we kind of got to know each other a bit at that one. And Mike Kroger from Nickelback was at that same one. And I knew everybody in Nickelback except Mike. We had oh. never met. And I'd been friends with their drummer Daniel for a long time, and so I'd never met Mike, but man, what a nice guy! He's like the nicest guy in the world. I had so much fun with him hanging out at that camp too. So um, everyone seems to be like that, where you get out of there and you're like, well, I mean, you know, I feel like I got to know a lot of people really well during the course of the week. So,
0: do you like uh, like that that scene like with the Jane's addiction and? Allison Chains and Soundgarden and, and Nickelback to a degree too. It's like a different sound than the, you know, more of the 80s stuff that you're known to, for. But are you a fan of those other styles of music?
1: Yeah. I mean, I saw Chains at the, I think it was the first Lollapalooza, you know, when, oh, it was, Wow, yeah, when, when that started up and, and they were great and they were a great band and, um, uh, as far as like the others, Nickelback, you know, blew me away when I, when I went to go see him live. I, I I had met Daniel back when he was in Three Doors Down, their drummer, hmm. and he liked my instrumental albums we talked about earlier, my fusion. Oh, that's album. cool. The, the drummer's kind of like a real kind of virtuoso guy, and their Virgil Donati. And um, so, anyway, Daniel and I have kept in touch you know, even through him leaving Three Doors Down and joining Nickelback and all this stuff. And um, so. Uh, when I've heard them live, I thought they put on a great show. You can really see Chad Kroger's very influenced by James Hetfield. Which I, I had never put two and two together with that, you know, with the Explorer and the black T-shirt and the, you know, just his, yeah, he's very uh he's very Headfield influenced. I didn't
0: realize uh, that either. I'll have, to ch- I'll have to look for that next time. Kind of
1: interesting once you make that correlation, you know, once, yeah. once you make that connection, it's like, oh, I get it. He yeah,
0: really- I'm never a huge Nickelback fan, but I'm not like one of those people that like hates them either. I'm like, Yeah, oh, they got some good tunes and
1: yeah. I honestly I don't know because I listened to so little that it's more yeah. or less like i go to see the show and i just evaluate the show and go like do they sound good and i thought they sounded really great and i thought they put on a great show and uh what other bands were we talking about in there like
0: Soundgarden, oh, i love chains yeah i'm I from love- seattle so i grew up in the seattle in the 90s but i loved like the hair metal but i like the grunge stuff too i just it's i never understood like why i you know you people had to choose i feel i can't i like all, all sorts of different kinds of music
1: yeah, me too. I mean, my, my favorites from that area, uh, from that era, are the ones we're talking about. I yeah. definitely liked I definitely like Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, and Stone Temple Pilots. I would mm. say are like standouts from that era for me. More than say like Pearl Jam or Nirvana, um, I was more into those three. They were bringing more from metal and in, mm-hmm. like into the grunge thing, and a little more progressive, maybe. I love all the sound garden, all the open tunings and stuff. I thought that was totally cool.
0: Yeah. And, I like um, some of the poppier ball. stuff too, like collective soul and gin. I just thought we just saw gin blossoms in Vegas and they sounded great. And uh, yeah, they had some really good songs too. Like yeah. a little more poppy, less, uh, less heavy, yeah. but.
1: I like that band too. They had some really great uh, hooky kind of um, jangle pop. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. Very catchy stuff. So yeah, I mean, in general, I'm, you know, I'm pretty open-minded with all this stuff. And I'm like you where I'm like, yeah, why, why am I supposed to like just one thing? So,
0: right. No, I get it though, too. It's like where you don't listen to music. Cause you're like, okay, I've been doing music all day. I just, I want to hear silence. It's kind of interesting, but I, I totally understand it. Cause it's like with podcasts, I do so much research on the, the guests that I'm interviewing. I listen to all these interviews that they do. And then people are like, Hey, you want to listen to my podcast? I'm like, that's the last thing I want to do at the end of the day is listen to another podcast. Like I, I'll just listen to music or a movie or sports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a Bulls fan, right? I am. Yeah. yeah. So I was gonna because last time I think we were we were scheduled. I was like I was gonna ask you about because they were playing and there was a lot and that was the end. They, they lost their playoff game, but
1: it didn't, it didn't go well this year. No,
0: but now you still got the what? What's the other team you're a fan of? The Cubs. Yeah. The yeah. Cubs are playing.
1: Uh, yeah, they're looking like, eh, you know, like, um, looking okay. They started off with a little bit of chemistry and then it all kind of, you know, I just think they don't necessarily have enough talent on the team to really do it this year. But um, it's okay. There's some players that I'm enjoying watching it develop and stuff like that. And um, it's all right. You know, the Bulls, I, I kind of thought when they got that lineup, I mean, they did miss having Lonzo Ball in the playoffs. He's like – their big problem is just defense. They they only really have one guy who's like a defense-first guy, being Alex Caruso. And um, so I think, you know, you got Levine and DeRozan. Those guys are definitely offense-first. Vucevic is offense-first. So you kind of need some of these guys that think about, like, hey, I'm going to play D and pass. And Lonzo Ball fits in really well with that. Um, so I think that they'll play better having him back next year i don't know that it's a championship team though still they're gonna they're gonna have to figure out what the heck to do yeah something's gotta give there i don't think it's so, necessarily a championship team uh no where you gotta revamp
0: were you were you a fan of the bulls and like the the those uh the 90s and stuff those teams like that would have been amazing to to watch all those games <laughs>
1: Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, that stuff was really fun. I mean, that was Michael Jordan coming in as just their new draft pick, you know? Oh, the Bulls drafted this guy, Michael Jordan. He wasn't Michael Jordan yet. He wasn't, you know. He was he, there. Was there was a little bit of hype about him? Everybody knew he was going to be good, but uh, they were like, "Oh, it's a good draft pick" or whatever. But there wasn't like it is nowadays, where people come in and they're you know King James, mm-hmm. like in high school or whatever, right? I mean, it's a different a different level of hype, you know. Um, so it was fun to watch Michael Jordan kind of come in for, from just being like a draft pick to watch that whole thing happen and. And I think he
0: wasn't, wasn't he not the first draft pick? Like somebody, there was at least one team that passed on him and said, Oh, we're gonna take this other guy. We don't think Michael Jordan's the best person, which is, yeah, he was, to think he, was, about. He,
1: was, he was the third pick. Yeah.
0: Third. So, okay. Wow. Was, so two teams passed. Hakeem
1: was first, um, which he was considered to be the top draft pick. And then the second pick was Portland, and they um, they had Clyde Drexler. So they were like, you know, Michael Jordan plays the same position. We got a guy we really like there. doesn't make sense to draft him. So they drafted Sam Bowie, and, and he ended up having a career that was riddled with injury and really did nothing as a pro. So that was, uh, you know, forever tortured Portland fans that they – made that pick instead of you know but i mean nobody's got a crystal ball man you know
0: but it's like yeah it just goes back to that like work ethic thing because i think jordan just he just kept working at it and getting better like i i you know he was originally cut off his high school team which is weird to think about but he just like was like he went home and cried then he's like all right now i'm gonna just start practicing and just keep getting better and better and better and damn what a career
1: yeah oh yeah the the he was trying out for varsity, I think, as a sophomore and mm-hmm. did the varsity team. So it's a little bit of an illusion, that story, you know? Um, and then he played on the varsity junior and senior year, but, um, but yeah, he, Michael improved, I would say steadily throughout, even when his athleticism was going down, he was getting smarter and figuring out how to how to still be a good player. So, um, yeah, it was really, I mean, it was fun to watch and it was fun to watch Scotty Pippen get better. And, um, you know, Horace Grant and there was, uh, you know, a lot of very talented players that were a part of those teams that, um, it was it, yeah, it's great. I mean, they they won six titles, man. You know, getting to celebrate yeah. championships when you're following a team is awesome. You know, if if the Cubs went and won six World Series, I don't know what I'd do. I'd be like,
0: well, it's amazing oh, that they they I'm won gone, one, man, yeah. They they won. Was it like five years ago or something? They won a, It was crazy,
1: huh? Oh. Oh, my God. I mean, I waited for that. And like, you know, they broke my heart my whole life. And it was like a
0: 100 years they had gone or something crazy like that, right?
1: Over 100, 108 years. Yeah. So when they finally won it, it was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, it was crazy.
0: Yeah, the curse is over. They called it the curse. Was it the curse of the wait? Was that the one was the curse of the Bambino? Because they had traded Babe Ruth or something?
1: Well, that was the Red Sox. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Red Sox the- traded Babe Ruth to the Yankees. And so- yeah.
0: Was the Cubs the one where it was like a goat walked on the field or something? That's yeah. so – Yeah.
1: Shows you how old the curse was, right? <laughs> oh,
0: <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, it's like, goat?
1: what the hell are you talking about a goat for? Yeah. yeah so true. they had kicked out – yeah, I, I forget the exact story, but they had kicked out a guy who um, <clears throat> worked for them or – um, he ran the Billy Goat Tavern, I think, and he had the goat in there and they kicked ah. him out because of it. And he said, there will never, you know, uh, I forget what the exact text was that he threw on it, but he laid down some statement. There will never be a World Series game played in this park uh, ever mm-hmm. again or whatever, because I think they kicked him out of the World Series,
0: I want to say. <laughs> Damn.
1: And so it just kind of lasted and lasted and lasted. And they would, you know, there was a couple of years that they they were one game away and then they'd lose three in a row and not go oh. to the World Series. That happened in 84 and 2003, where it was like, you know, 84, they were up two games to none. There was only one round of playoffs back then, best of five. And they won the first two. It was like, they're going to the World Series, man. Lost three in a row. Oh. And 2003, they were up three games to one. It was like, they're going to the World Series this year. It's going to happen. Lost three in a row. Oh. <laughs> Didn't go. That was the year of the Bartman thing. The Steve Bartman, if you remember that moment. No. A fan reached over and interfered with a <gasps> fault wall that yeah. could have been caught. And oh. then once that wasn't caught, like, it really wasn't his fault. It was actually – the. Um, bigger problem was that the shortstop made a really crucial error after that moment. And, but the floodgates like completely open for the Marlins and they scored like a million runs in the Cubs uh-huh. game. So
0: crazy. You know, your sports, stuff. that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's my getaway.
0: That's yeah. That's your, yeah. You got to have like something else. Cause like, yeah, you go crazy if you're just only doing music. So
1: yeah, that's my getaway for sure.
0: Very yeah. cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I think last time you were on, we promoted the Salvation Army at the end, just if people have a few extra bucks after they buy all your music, of course, um, they could throw it to the Salvation Army.
1: Cool. Yeah, that, that's great. Thank you.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cool. And I'll put all the website and everything in the show notes, and then um, I'll tag you on all the social media if you want to share it or anything like that.
1: I will. Thank you so yeah. much. Thanks God. so much, Joel. I'm so sorry about the other day. Man. Oh, no problem. yep so, so sorry about that, dude. So, yeah, it all worked out. Yeah, all right. Like, happens to the best of us, I guess,
0: man. Yeah, all right. right. Well, I'll, I'll definitely. hopefully you'll do a show in Phoenix or somewhere nearby where I can drive to and see Whitesnake. I've never seen him, so that would be amazing.
1: All right, cool. All yeah. right. All right, dude. See you later. Cheers. Thank you so much, bud. Bye-bye.
0: Right. Thanks so much to Joel. Make sure to check out Iconic and all his other work. Uh, follow him on social media for updates. And while you're on there, uh, please give me a follow or the show. I will post short uh, preview clips of the show on Instagram and TikTok, so check those out, and uh, check out some of my other interviews. I've had lots of other great musicians, including other guitar players like Steve Stevens, Paul Gilbert, Andy Timmons, Bumblefoot, Kiko Larrero from Megadeth, and tons more. And once again, I will remind you to subscribe to the show and either like or comment on the video if you're watching on YouTube, and give us a rating or review if you're watching or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, that helps us out a lot. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time to make it all the way through. Have a great rest of your day and remember to shoot for the moon.